scripture reading this morning is Matthew 16, 21 through 23. <clears throat> From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You may be seated. It's good to be with you this morning. Appreciate your attendance today. We uh, kind of joke sometimes during fall break that it's only a remnant that's left behind here, and then you add uh, Tyler being gone and me preaching into the mix today, I wasn't sure if we'd have a hundred or not, so <laughs> we still seem to have a good crowd today. I, again, appreciate you being with us. was able to speak with Tyler last night, and he'd made it fine to Maryville and was in a good way with his Vols, scoring 62 points yesterday, so uh, Tyler's off to a good gospel meeting at least last night, and uh, he checked in this morning to make sure that things were going well here, so we want to keep them in our thoughts this week. Pray that he has a successful meeting and has a safe trip back home. Appreciate Brian. I know Brian spent a lot of hours this week getting the, um, the online streaming set up upstairs with a new camera. If you notice, the table's not down here in the big screen TV. So if you've been watching Tyler from the audience on the TV, I, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. It's all been moved upstairs. And those that are watching online, hopefully it's going smooth today. I know uh, I was nervous and I had nothing to do with it, so I imagine Brian's uh, uh, a little nervous this morning as that's taking place, and hopefully that's all going, going well. A lot of things that take place that, that uh, we don't always know about here at the congregation, and certainly thankful for the men that are able to, to do those things. Our lesson this morning is titled, What If Jesus Really Meant What He Said? What if Jesus really meant what he said? And you know, you read that and you think about that, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, this is going to be crazy, because of course Jesus meant what he said. Who would argue the opposite of that, that Jesus didn't mean what he said? Who would argue that he was saying things just to be saying things? Nobody would think that. Of course, everybody knows and everybody believes that Jesus meant exactly what he said. But I think it's still worth looking at that question. I think it's still something in our society today worth taking a moment and looking at Scripture, looking at our Lord and Savior, and seeing if we can be confident in whether or not He meant the things that He said. It seems we live in a world today where our politicians, our leaders, don't always mean what they say. And at the risk of offending one political side more than the other, I won't give any examples, but rest assured, there's plenty of examples from both sides to go around where folks say something, this is what I'm going to do if I'm elected into office, and it doesn't take place, does it, church? I think there's plenty of examples of, of leaders in capacities of organizations. That this is what we're going to do as an organization, and then things get started and it doesn't happen. There's orientation day when you go to work at a new place, and these are all the rules and the things that are going to take place at this organization, and then time comes and it doesn't seem to be upheld. I think we fall into those traps around the house sometimes, don't we? With chores, right? I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to do it. I remember being a kid and watching, uh, it seemed like it always came on during NASCAR races and maybe during basketball games. There was one commercial. It was a husband and wife in their house and the air conditioner was broken. And, and on the commercial, they were both sweating. It was unbearably hot. And the wife looked at the husband in the commercial and she said, Honey, I thought you were going to call about the AC. 
And he says, I'll call tomorrow. And she says, you said that yesterday. And he goes, well, I'll, I'll call today. And she picks up the phone, she hands it to him, says, you'll call now. <laughs> because that's what happens, right? We don't, I don't think, do it un, you know, intentionally. But we don't always mean what we say, I'll call them. It might happen, it might not happen. One of my favorites, and Amber and I have fallen in this trap a little bit, is the, the countdown parents. Parents, you ever counted down to your kids? You better get here right now. The kid doesn't come right now. I'm going to count to three. <laughs> and you can always tell whether or not the parent's one that means what they say or not by how quickly on the course from one to three the child comes. We were in Walmart one day and a lady said that exact exchange. You better get over here right now. A child didn't a bit more. If you don't come here right now, I'm going to spank you. Nothing changed. I'm going to count to three. One. Nothing changed. Two. Nothing changed. Two and a half. <laughs> nothing changed. Church, we got into fractions I didn't even know existed. <laughs> the child never came. Listen, I'm not being critical of that parent. I've counted to two and seven sixteenths before myself. What does that mean? Well, maybe the parent didn't really mean what they said. Child knew we could get to three, we could get to 33. I wasn't going to get spanked. And you do that enough times and pretty soon, I can't trust anything mom or dad's telling me in regards to punishment. Now listen, I say all those things because we see those in our lives, right? Don and I used to always laugh about Grace County when I played basketball. Every year, Coach Hatcher would come out, this year we're going to be up-tempo. This year we're going to score a lot of points. This year we're going to push the ball. And by December 31st, we were averaging 30 points a game. <laughs> Kentucky football this year, we're going to throw the ball. They, they won last night, but they threw the ball six times. That's not throwing the ball a lot, is it? We live in a society, all this is an introduction, just to prove the point, we live in a society where people don't always mean what they say. I'm not saying they're liars. I'm just saying sometimes things don't work out the way they thought that we would. Sometimes we don't mean it literally. Sometimes things aren't exactly as they're supposed to be. And my fear is, church, that our world has applied that same principle, that same understanding. We've come to roll our eyes at the politicians. Well, they're all going to just lie. We've come to roll our eyes at the organizations. These are the rules and you better follow them. No one's going to follow them. We've come to be the child that stays in the candy section when parents tell us to come. They're not going to spank me. We've come to be the fans that hear our coaches say, we're going to do this or that. They never have. They're not going to this year either. And I'm afraid we apply that same principle to Jesus. He said we need to do this. He said we need to do that. He said we better guard our souls. He wouldn't punish us. And that's the lesson today. Number one on your outlines, let's begin by looking to the Bible for some historical context to see if Jesus really meant what he said. And by extension, we're going to look at God and see if God really meant what he said. And so we go back to the beginning, from the very beginning, over in Genesis chapter 2. And from the beginning, we can see that God meant what he said. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, the Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? God said, don't eat of the one fruit. Did He mean what He said? Go over one chapter. Chapter 3 and verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Church, you know the rest of the story. Adam and Eve both ate of the fruit. 
They both were expelled from the garden. Punishments were handed down. God meant what He said. Letter B, over in Genesis chapter 6, God promises to destroy all flesh. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 13, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so Noah builds an ark. The way that I understand from reading through Scripture and reading from other folks who've commented on Scripture, I don't know that it had ever rained prior to the rains leading up to the flood. It appears there was a mist that came up from the earth, and so maybe there had never even been rain. But God tells Noah to build this ark, and, and He builds the ark for these animals and for His family to board to be saved from the flood because God said, I'm going to destroy all flesh. We have a rainbow today because God meant what He said. The floods came and, and, and everyone was destroyed except for the ones on the ark. And God made the promise to never flood the earth again in such a way. And because of that, we do have the rainbow. But God meant what He said. Let her see Lot witness the fulfillment of the Word of God. Uh, God's punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah over in Genesis chapter 18. And you begin reading in verse 20 and it says, The Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And you skip over to chapter 19 verse 13. The angels tell uh, Lot and his family, We're about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And then you go to verse 24 there in chapter 19. And the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Now church, we're in Genesis chapter 18. How long would y'all like to stay this morning? <laughs> We've made it through 18 chapters. There's three examples of God giving some pretty, uh, some pretty candid, if you do this, if you continue in this path, this is the punishment that's going to happen, and it's fulfilled every time. We haven't even begun to look at prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ. We haven't even begun to look at prophecies that were filled through Abraham. We haven't even begun to look at countless other examples of punishments that God said, if you sin in this way, this is what's going to happen. But church, I promise you, we can go on and on and on and on throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, of God saying, this is what's going to happen, and it coming to pass. Is there any doubt then that God really means what he says and by extension to that so does Jesus so number two perhaps you're like me whenever I started thinking about this question and a lot of times I'll answer a question with the question and so what if Jesus really meant what he said my first thought was well why wouldn't he <laughs> why wouldn't he mean what he says Hebrews chapter 6 verses 17 and 18 tells us that it's impossible for God to lie so why wouldn't he mean what he says well I don't know but it appears that there's some today that think that God's grace will trump the need for obedience. There's some today that I don't know that they necessarily believe that God doesn't mean what He said, but perhaps they want to pick and choose some of the things that He said as opposed to looking at all the things that Jesus has said. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 
first half of this verse is one of the more quoted verses in the Bible. The Lord is not willing that any should perish. Amen. The Lord's not willing that any should perish. Therefore, His grace will trump the need for my obedience. I don't have to obey God because 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord's not willing for me to perish. I can do what I want to do. And I'll turn over to 1 Timothy rather, chapter 2 and verse 4. God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved. God wants me to be saved. He's not going to punish me by allowing me to go to hell. He wants me to be saved. Therefore, I'm going to hang on to 2 Peter 3, 9, 1 Timothy 2, 4. And I don't care what else Jesus says. These two verses are going to be my hope and my salvation because God's not willing that any should perish. God can do anything He wants. Therefore, if He's not willing for me to perish, He can just extend enough grace for me to spend eternity in heaven. You see, the problem with that logic is it's the same logic that Paul addressed to the Romans in chapter 6 and verse 1. Letter B in your outlines, what did Paul say about that mindset? That I don't have to worry about my obedience. God's grace will be enough. Well, in Romans 6, 1, Paul says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Paul asked the same question we just asked. I mean, these other passages, 2 Peter 3, 9 and 1 Timothy 2, 4, weren't written yet, so Paul couldn't reference those, but it's the same principle. Paul says God wants everyone to spend eternity in heaven. We know that because He sent His Son. In our teen class this morning, we talked about there being three votes cast in whether we spend eternity in heaven or hell. That Satan wants us to spend eternity in hell, and he's doing everything he can to bring us there with him. And God wants us to spend eternity in heaven. And he's offered us a pathway to spend an eternity there through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. And the third vote that's got to be cast, church, here's the good news. It's your vote. <laughs> You get to make the decision. Do I want to spend the eternity in heaven or do I want to spend eternity in hell? But if I want to spend eternity in heaven and if Jesus means what He says, then there are some things that I have to do. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. We can't just continue in sin so that grace may abound. Those two passages earlier, 2 Peter 3, 9, 1 Timothy 2, 4, I only read the first half of both of those. Did y'all notice? 2 Peter 3.9 most assuredly says, the Lord is not willing that any should perish. But in my Bible, there's a, a comma there. And it continues by saying, all should come to repentance. All should come to repentance. God doesn't want you to perish. But, you must come to Repentance. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved. my Bible, there's a little word, and. The rest of that verse says, and come to the knowledge of the truth. If you come to the knowledge of the truth, that leads you down a pathway to obedience to becoming a Christian. God wants these things for you, but He requires obedience on our part. Let her see there. Man doesn't see the world, though, as God sees the world. Matthew 16, 21 through 23 is the scripture that Wes read for us this morning. I appreciate that 
very much. And in this passage, as Jesus is telling the things that are going to take place, that He's got to go to Jerusalem, He's got to suffer things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and that He's going to be killed, and that He's going to be raised the third day, Peter does the same thing that a friend might do to you or I that starts talking like that. Peter takes him aside and says, no, 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 no. We're not going to let that happen to you, Lord. That's not what's going to take place. They're not going to put you to death. We're not going to let them beat you. We're not going to let them take you. And if you recall in the garden, who was it that drew his sword ready to fight to keep those things from happening? It was Peter, wasn't it? I mean, Peter meant what he said. No, Lord, I, I hear you, but I don't think you mean what you say. Those things aren't going to happen. would never let that happen to you. As Wes read for us this morning, the Lord says, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Church, I would encourage you this morning, if you take nothing else from the lesson this morning, please take this one point. I would suggest to each of us this morning, we would serve ourselves well, that if we would spend more time trying to do what Jesus has asked us to do, than trying to explain to Jesus why what He's asked us to do isn't really necessary. Think about that. We'd go so much farther in serving God if we would spend more time just trying to do what Jesus has asked us to do than arguing with Jesus or trying to explain to Jesus why it's not necessary to do the things that He's asked us to do. And Peter saw that here in Matthew chapter 16. So it brings us to the applicable part of our lesson this morning. Number three. What if Jesus really meant what he said. And we've got a series of questions here this morning, and I hope some of these are able to prick at your heart a little bit. I hope some of these this morning get to your toes a little bit. I hope some of these this morning cause you to think a little bit, because they certainly did me. But look at each of these questions and, and, and answer them. Answer them honestly, as if you were being asked them yourself. If Jesus really meant what he said, letter A, would sincerity be enough? Would sincerity be enough? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. A church, the sincerity movement is alive and well today. You don't have to follow the, the, the teachings of the Bible. You don't have to follow the teachings of the church. You don't have to, to listen to elders or listen to a preacher or, or do this or do that. Just be sincere. Work out salvation with God on your own terms and, and, and get to a place where you feel comfortable and at peace with Him. And, and that's all that really matters. God looks at your heart. And as long as you're sincere in heart, that's all that God requires. But what if Jesus actually meant what He said in Matthew chapter 7 when He said, a lot of you that are going to call Me Lord on the day of judgment, I'm going to tell you, depart, I never knew you. Now church, a person wouldn't be standing before our Savior saying, Lord, Lord, if they weren't sincere in their heart that they believed Him to be Lord. But Jesus says, if He means what He said, that sincerity alone is not enough. Letter B, if Jesus really meant what He said, would He come first in our lives? If we read Scripture and we read what the Bible says about the Lord, would we put Him first 
in our lives. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 and 38, Jesus said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Jesus said, you must love me more than anything else. I think about the bridal relationship between Christ and church. And Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 says that He is the head of the church. And you think about that relationship between a, a man and a wife, a husband and a wife. And you think about putting her first versus the things that we put before the church. And, and here's where I'm going with that. Think about in our own lives, where do we rank coming to the worship assembly as opposed to other things that we do? Are our children's sports more important to us than coming and worshiping Christ? Is uh, going out of town for a vacation or to go and spend time uh, doing things that we enjoy alone by ourselves more important to us than coming and worshiping and spending time with God? Are we willing on a Sunday night to go through the trouble after that afternoon nap and the big lunch and, and we're tired and we're exhausted and, and, and we've already changed out of our, you know, the, the church clothes and now we've got to put them back on and might even have to get a shower because we've done some work that afternoon and, and, and uh, I, I read what Jesus says here. I've got to love Him more than Father father, mother, more than myself, more than son or daughter, more than anything else, but, but not tonight. Is that following what Jesus said? Is that listening to what He said in Matthew 10 and applying it to our lives? Man, that wouldn't fly well with your wives, would it? If every time that she asked something of you, every time she wanted to spend some time with you, every time that there was an opportunity, instead of, of making the commitment and, and, and spending time with your wife, instead every time say, well, honey, yeah, I, I, I would like to do that, but instead, and time after time after time, we find another reason to do something other than spending that time. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 explains to us that we can't split our loyalties Matthew 6 and verse 33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. What if Jesus meant what He said? Let her see, what if Jesus meant what He said about forgiving others? If, if Jesus comes first, we can't put ourselves first, and that's ultimately what forgiveness comes down to. When we fail to forgive others, we aren't putting Christ first in our lives, but rather we're putting ourselves first. I'm not going to move myself out of number one long enough to put Jesus first and to forgive this person. But what did Jesus say about it in Matthew 18, verse 21, when Peter asked, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And you remember the Lord's response? <laughs> not just seven times, but 70 times seven. And I always laugh about that, and I guess it really applies this morning. That means at number 491, you can forget about the brother. <laughs> Y'all didn't laugh at that. I don't think that's what it means. I'm pretty sure that's an expression of speech. But even if it does mean, how many times are you and I going to be willing to forgive someone? I don't think that I'm going to go to 490 times of someone taking advantage of me and me continuing to forgive. Now, maybe some of you guys have been able to do that in your life. I hope that I never have the opportunity to forgive someone 490 times. That means there's been a lot of wrongs that have taken place for me to have that opportunity. But church, what do you do about forgiving somebody once? How many congregations have been split up, broken up, divisions that are irreparable 
because of one singular event. A brother or sister said something about another brother or sister they shouldn't have and, and have apologized for it. Will you forgive? Someone did a good work in the church and they didn't get recognized for it. And no one did it. It wasn't a slight on purpose, but the brother or sister never made known that their feelings were hurt because they weren't recognized. Instead, they just fall away. Would you forgive? Oh, a family member. Well, that gets close to home, doesn't it? A family member. That's my brother, and these are things they've done to me, and I'll never forgive him. Seventy times seven. What if Jesus meant what he said? He goes on to say, My heavenly Father will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. In my opinion, that means you're free to disagree. The most powerful two words in that verse are the last two. His trespasses. Church, that means you're forgiving someone that actually did you wrong. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an oversight. His trespasses, his transgression. That means this person actually did something to you worth getting mad about. There was a trespass that occurred. And Jesus tells us to forgive anyway. What if he meant what he said? Letter D. If Jesus meant what he said, would we look for any other way to the Father? In John chapter 8 and verse 24, the Bible says, uh, Jesus says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. If Jesus meant what He said, then He is the only way to the Father. There's the bumper stickers that, that we've talked about in our teen class before that say coexist, and it's all these different religious symbols of different uh, groups that have different ways to reach uh, eternal spiritual life. But what if Jesus meant what He said? If He did, there's no other way to the Father except through Him. And Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says just that. There's no other name by which we must be saved. This morning, are you trying to find salvation on your own? Are you trying to find salvation without submitting to the teachings of Christ? Because if you are, my question is, what if Jesus meant what He said? And the only way to be saved is through Him. And finally, letter E this morning. If Jesus meant what He said, would you and I misunderstand the command for our salvation? Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16 says, And He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, and he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Jesus was very clear. Many will try to argue with that statement. I don't have to be baptized. Belief's enough. Some of you this morning perhaps have been coming to church for years and years believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but unwilling to submit to His command to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Why, why are you waiting what if Jesus meant what He said? Why would you tarry? Our teen class this morning, we studied from the book of Acts, and we went through Acts, and there were nine different examples, I think, might have been eleven, but at least nine different examples in Acts where we looked at conversions, and we had every teen take one of the chapters and to read the conversion of the person. What did it say that they did when they first heard about Jesus from there to the point that the Bible says that they were saved, or from there to the point that they went on their way rejoicing? And every account... All 11 of them, every time that person was baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. 
Now, what if Jesus meant what he said? Well, I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to come forward during an assembly. I, I'm too nervous to do that. I, I don't think there's anything special about the water. Me neither. Other than the fact that it's where we come in contact with the blood of the Lamb. And it doesn't have to be this water. But there must be the act of burial. Of being raised from that watery grave of baptism to walk in newness of life. Just as Christ was raised from the grave. It's not my decision. It's not something the elders came up with. It's not something that some forefathers came up with. This is what Christ said. In Mark chapter 16, 15 and 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. It doesn't just say he who believes will be saved. Wednesday night in our class, I told my teens, I had $100 outside in the parking lot, and if anybody would go out there and get it, they could have it. I said, how many of y'all believe me when I say that? And three of them raised their hands. They were wrong, number one. (laughs) Number two, out of those three, how many of them do you think actually went outside in the parking lot to look? None of them. So even the three that believed me that I had $100 out there for them, they'd just go and get it. None of them were going to get it because they didn't put any action behind it. Do you see the analogy? I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe He has the power to save me. I believe that He can take away all of my sins. I believe. Do you believe enough to act upon that belief? If Jesus meant what He said, church, we're going to have to put on Christ in baptism for the remission of our sins. Church, we're going to have to live faithfully to death. Church, we're going to have to forgive one another. Church, we're going to have to do more than just be sincere. We're going to have to follow the words of Christ. Church, we're going to have to put Christ first in our daily lives, not just at worship assembly times, but on a daily basis. But you want to know the good news? If Jesus meant what He said to those that are faithful even unto death, there's a crown of life. Amen. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? If you're here this morning and perhaps you think that you believe what Jesus has always said, but you've never put it into action, don't wait any longer. Uh, Let today be the day of salvation. If we could help you in any way at all, would you please come while we stand and sing.